Welcome to the Legendary Upside Podcast. My name is Pat Crane. Today, I am joined by Travis May of Mojo Markets. Travis, how's it going? Good. Just uh, pumped to talk some NFL draft and hopping on a lot of shows, talking about some prospects. And so uh, I'm probably going to accidentally say something I've already said on four other shows. That's okay. <laughs> but uh, glad to dive in and uh, tackle some of these prospects here with you. Yeah. So for people who don't know, Travis is like a real expert on these rookies. You know, like I kind of do my <laughs> my cram every year and, and try to get up to speed on all these guys. But you've been following them like their whole college careers. You got the Debbie expertise going back years. And now um, at Mojo, you guys are, are setting prices that people can actually like, you know, buy stock in these players, yeah. not just when they're coming into the league, but actually still as college players. Like if you scrolled up, oh, you yeah. want to look at uh anthony richardson you can also you know look at some of these guys who who didn't declare for the draft yet yeah absolutely and that's been really fun they brought me back on uh as you're well aware in late september early october last year and i, I built out the college football stock market so you can actually trade uh these college players and and you know not everybody's stock goes up but you know you mentioned anthony richardson like he was i think he ipo'd like under eight bucks and now he's like over 30. so uh for the people that invested early uh, and Anthony Richardson, they're doing just fine at this point. So uh, lots of fun to, to be had with uh, just watching all the market action and and changing prices as these players approach their NFL draft. Yeah, I thought it would be fun to have you on because you have this this really uh, incredible expertise with the Debbie, Debbie uh, background and, and pricing out these college players. And so just a lot of information we can glean on how these guys are going to do as they enter the NFL. But then also, you know, looking at Mojo, um, gives us like a reference point that's different from the best ball market. So this is like, yeah, you know, a, a market based um, type of type of information that we can we say, like, OK, how is how is this market valuing these players? Because there are some key differences, you know, to the best ball and dynasty markets um, as we look at, you know, those ADPs versus these prices. And I think it's kind of interesting to talk through that. Yeah, it, it should be fun just to see where those differences arise and a couple other shows I've, I've joined this, this spring. They've kind of talked about how, um, you know, Mojo really outlining this idea of like banked value, what they've already done on the field and their future expected value. It really kind of uh, splits things up and especially for Dynasty helps us perhaps rank where these players should be versus where, you know, the Dynasty market may think they should be based on what they've done before. We, we tend to overinflate what we already know. Uh, except when it comes to rookies, and then we just you know sell everything for the rookie picks. But <laughs> so it, it certainly has has provided a, a unique uh, view on value for me, um, and I think a lot of people that have already checked it out. Well, can you explain real quick like how the Mojo pricing? Because if like, you go to Mojo, and I'll reference some of these prices at various points, but like if you on the app, like CJ Stroud has a price of forty two dollars and eight cents. Yeah. What What does that mean? Yeah, so like every professional league has their own kind of custom stat that leads to objectively accrued mojo value. So like with uh, the quarter, like with the NFL stat, um, it's sim it's similarly structured to like EPA, like expected points added. Not exactly, but there's you know points for first downs and yards. And uh, the big difference between uh, mojo value and fantasy is that uh, you know passing yards uh, are not weighted less so than like rushing or receiving. Uh, but there's objective stats. As a player accrues stats in the NFL, their quote unquote banked value of their price goes up. Right now, like every rookie, it's 100% future value. It's all projection based on what we believe their future NFL uh, career will be. So it's like their entire career mapped out 
into one price. Like with CJ Stroud, he's actually priced similarly to uh, Tua Tagovailoa. So like when Tua came into the league, he was priced a little bit lower than where he, he is now. After he had some success this year, uh, his price was way up, but you know he got hurt again and went down. Uh, but uh, Tua has a, a giant chunk of banked value, but then a, another piece that is future, and it has to do a lot with uh, our projections and what the market action has told us. And uh, and so that, that leads to every kind of price being where it is. But with CJ Stroud, there's been some significant confidence that he's not only going to be an early draft pick, but people are banking on him being in the league for quite some time. Because to accrue $42 of marginal value, you're looking at a player who plays well beyond their uh, rookie contract typically. So Okay. Yeah. That, that's helpful. That's helpful context. So, so you're kind of projecting C.J. Stroud for, you know, a, a second contract, a pretty long career. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, most first rounders, like for quarterbacks um, in the history of like, we have everything backdated to like 2000, uh, like, you know, back to like t- Tom Brady's class and like where he would have IPO'd even back then. Like, so like Tom Brady would have IPO'd like three bucks, but he ended up accruing like $170 of mojo value. So like, had you bought him as a rookie, you'd be doing just fine. <laughs> Not sure. to put you on the spot, but do you know what um, what Brock Purdy IPO'd at? Brock Purdy was around a dollar sixty, by the way, wow. last year. So he came in at a dollar sixty as Mister Irrelevant, uh, and you know, I, I thought even at the time, as I kind of came on staff uh, after he had already IPO'd, I was like, wow, that's really low for a guy who had a really nice early peak to his career. Um, even before anything happened, I was like, that's interesting because I, I was high on a few of the guys that went later in the draft last year. Uh, you know, I knew it was a weaker class, but it was still like you know, like Sam Howell, Brock Purdy, just different Debbie points, you know, but anyway, Purdy got all the way up to like above $11 at one point uh, while the, the 49ers were still alive in the playoffs oh. because there's actually what's fun about Mojo's there's different bonuses and things that, where you can get, um, you know, like w- whether it's multipliers or like a Super Bowl bonus. And so while, as long as the Niners were available or alive in the playoffs, like there was a chance that he got like five X points uh, for a Super Bowl performance. So <laughs> um, that wow. was an, an interesting stock to watch. For sure. So he's he's around eight bucks or so in between eight and nine now. But, you know, immediate huge returns for those that invested in Brock Purdy. Yeah. And the rookies are fun for anything like this, like Dynasty. You know, there's a reason why everyone wants the rookie picks in Dynasty, because you're going to you're going to see like the biggest jumps in value. Like that's where you're mm. going to hit home runs the most part. So it's, you know, I imagine if you're looking to have a guy like who more than 10 X in his value in this market, obviously, that's a very rare outcome to see Brock Purdy jump up that much, but that's yeah. like generally you're not going to see like a, a fifth year veteran. I wouldn't, you know, ten xing in his value. That would be pretty. Strange. Yeah, but what's fun about that, like those kind of players, is it, to, depending on the uh, amount of expected future value that they have remaining, we generally often like offer a, a certain kind of multiplier, whether it's a five x or even like a ten x or even a fifteen x on a player like a, like a Tom Brady, who's obviously, I mean, at this point we wouldn't, but. You know, given the short runway remaining, you know, if if we offer a 15x multiplier on a player and their price goes at one percent, you make 15 percent. You know, and but you can only lose up to um, your original investment. So it just makes for some tantalizing upside plays, even with the guys like Rogers that are, are complete <laughs> question marks at this point. Um, it, it's pretty fun. So this and there, you guys are in Jersey, right? That's where people yeah they actually wanted to play. Okay, let's move to the. Um, Let's let's get into the quarterbacks, the rookie quarterbacks, because 
Um, so I brought up some of the prices here just so people can get a sense of what we're talking about. Um, sure. If you have on the YouTube, uh, you know, if you're checking this out on YouTube, you can see it, but we'll talk through it. Uh, we'll bring, we're going to be very kind to the audio listeners here. Uh, so CJ <laughs> Stroud is, is the top guy um, in the market here. Uh, and then Bryce Young is basically priced at 98% of Stroud's value. So, it, so you guys mm -hmm. have basically a, a top tier Stroud and Young, mm -hmm. not, not a ton separating them. Then you have Anthony Richardson who is priced at 76% of Stroud's value, mm -hmm. which seems pretty low to me, but longevity, right? Your guys are pricing in. What if this guy washes out? So that's, that's going to be an interesting conversation. I think will Levis 65%. So even like kind of another tier down, uh, behind Richardson and then Hendon Hooker at just 38%, which I think makes some sense given the draft capital, given the injury and everything. So let's talk um, Let's talk Levis first, actually, because sure. I knew from some of the stuff I've seen on Twitter that you're, you're pretty worried about Richardson's accuracy, um, which I want to talk to you about. But Levis, I didn't realize might be kind of in this range. And I've been sort of wondering – how seriously to take this like he's going to slide in the draft talk mm -hmm. um you know and these gms kind of being out like you know he posted pictures of his back and stuff apparently that didn't go over well in the nfl <laughs> um so you know but like do, do we take this seriously i mean it's kind of like the dead season of april a little bit you know it's yeah. tough to get a sense of this draft buzz right now but like if will levis goes top 10 this feels like a little low to me but if if he slides, it doesn't. So wh where are you at on kind of where he gets drafted? Yeah, without getting uh, into, into the nitty gritty of all the modeling that goes into the pricing, especially like with the initial price points and whatnot, like uh, on Mojo, I can uh, to get into the first round kind of price range, it's like 18 to 20 bucks or so typically, like historically for quarterbacks. So all four of these guys are projected to be first round picks. Like okay. if you're up like, near near 30 bucks, like that's implying that you're probably like a top 10-ish uh, pick in, in that kind of range. Um but what's funny about historical uh, signal between draft capital and and quarterback is like that's the strongest re relationship in general when it comes to uh, predictive outcomes for for um, most uh, raw stats and uh, even some efficiency stats as well. So like uh, Stroud and Young are essentially their top five type price ranges. Uh, Richardson and Levis are in that. I don't know what to do with them because <laughs> they could go in the you know, top five or they could drop a little bit based on the fact that their profiles are complete trash. And I will say that Levis uh, for a long time uh, has confused me in terms of how confident people were and that he was going to succeed. I remember uh, watching you know him really struggle against even like Iowa this last year couple other teams where uh, he just completely was an absolute zero, a, a huge liability in the turnover department. Uh, and then immediately right after seeing, you know, somebody like Mel Kuyper going, yeah, I don't really, that, that, that affects his draft stock, his draft stock zero. And I'm like, wait, how does that three interception, zero touchdown performance against like one of his only decent opponents this year mean nothing for his draft capital? Like, like, I don't understand. Like, I, is it just traits and nothing else matters? Like what you actually did on the field doesn't matter because that, that's the vibe that I got constantly throughout uh, Levis's two years uh, of, of significant production. And so for me, I've always doubted Levis, but uh, so I, I feel like real draft folks are just getting to a point where they're like, okay, we've seen a hundred percent of what we need to see. And yes, it's obvious that Stroud is way better. It's obvious that Bryce Young is way better and the tools with Richardson 
are way better. So why in the world are we touting Levis as a first round, like early first round pick at this point? I have no idea. And so everyone's actually just dropping him into the range at which he should have been in the first place. Yeah, the thing that concerns me about Levis um, is that like he takes a lot of sacks, and yeah. he also doesn't hit. Like I've I looked at one of the things I like to look at is um, PFF's big time throws on yeah. deep throws. And mm-hmm. he doesn't do that. So he's not a no, guy. So from a fan, <laughs> from a fantasy perspective, because like, it's like, okay, he's like the, he's like kind of the physical, if it wasn't for Richardson, right? Yeah. Levis would be kind of the tools guy. And right. it's like, but he doesn't seem to make big throws. He takes sacks. He's like decently accurate, but he's not as accurate as, as young and Stroud. Um, and he like runs, but he doesn't run. He's like a Daniel Jonesy type of guy. Maybe he's not going to be like an incredible Runner, I mean, Daniel Jones would probably be like a ceiling outcome as far as the rushing goes. Um, so I'm like, what's what's the appeal again? <laughs> I don't know. I can't tell you, man. I, I have no idea because I get that he was uh, dinged up a little bit like with an angle this 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 last year and his sack rate went up and whatever. But he's never – and, yes, he, he's done some big-time throws, um, especially even in like 2021, but not to the, the, yeah. uh, the point that we would expect from a player who's getting this much hype. And so right. uh, my metric that I use that I built out for Rotoviz initially, and I, I use now in reference even today is it's called scheme adjusted pass efficiency. And it adjusts for things like his average of target it adjusts for play action percentage, how often his team incorporates motion um, and how that might artificially inflate uh, efficiency and kind of adjusts everyone's profile. That's made a hundred passes in a season since like 2016 and pumps out a percentile and Levis uh, is like right at or just below the bare absolute minimum that you typically want to see around like the 79th percentile. Um, we haven't even seen somebody get drafted in the last two years with with that kind of uh, tier, let alone Richardson's profile, by the way. Um, and it seems that the NFL is is leaning towards more of an analytical approach in recent years with uh, analytic staffs expanding across the league, except for my Titans and the commanders. <clears throat> but uh, that's another, another podcast in and of itself. Um, but yeah, he just kind of is below what you like to see in every analytical measure. And he's not really a wow in any other way besides maybe his biceps. So yeah. yeah good biceps though. Yeah, uh, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> he well, works out the, a but- lot. <laughs> the the thing for me with Levis, and I'm kind of glad to to understand that you guys still have him priced as like a solidly as a first round pick because mm-hmm. I think I'm gonna have a lot of him in Dynasty, man. I have a lot of um, I have a lot of Daniel Jones, a lot of Justin Herbert, a lot of Zach Wilson, you know. Well, so maybe I'll be one. maybe <laughs> yeah, but that's the bet you have to if you want to make this bet, you got to eat the Zach Wilsons because it's just saying the the market isn't as good at fading quarterbacks with really high draft capital as it thinks it is that's basically just the whole bet you know trubisky would have been i mm-hmm. I, I wasn't doing this when uh trubisky was around but yeah, i had a lot of, would, lots of trubisky for similar reasons by the way just yeah i think it's a good it's a good play <laughs> and even if it like even if it only you know even if jones and herbert are hits that aren't going to come around very often and and this is like a 20 percent hit rate or even like a 15 percent hit rate like mm-hmm when you hit at a quarterback in a super flex draft, it's really, 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 it changes everything. Like, it, oh, yeah. especially if you hit it, it, hit on that guy at the 107 or the 108 or the 109, where Levis might fall to, especially if he doesn't go, you know, seventh and he goes like 12th. And maybe there's not that big of a difference 
between team commitment at those spots. So um, I'm struggling with him because I don't like him, but. All three yeah. you mentioned, though, are better. We're better bats as prospects than Levis. I will say, like Herbert, especially had like a peak and like the 90th plus percentile for his pass efficiency metrics. Um, albeit, you know, he had a couple seasons that weren't perfect, but his peak was fantastic. Uh, you think Daniel Jones was a better prospect? Uh, no, uh, okay. mobility score, yes. Um, he was more mobile, he was like 16 or 17 percent of his team's rushing yards, but his. His passing profile was actually the worst among any first-round quarterback drafted in the last seven years. Uh, so yeah, he was he was pretty trash as a prospect. And I don't we, think we, Daniel Jones is very good today. He's not. But he's like, not, he, yeah, he's been a but massive he, hit though. I mean, <clears throat> he, he threw like he less than twenty touchdown passes last year, and you know, <laughs> but because he runs, man. Yeah, he but runs. Like, but I, 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 massive hit is is a little much for me. <laughs> No, but, no, he's uh, he's giving you an entire rookie contract and just re-signed another contract. So you're getting at least like another two years of starting production. He's been a massive hit where you got him in rookie drafts. It's I think that's unquestionable. Maybe, maybe. But I, I will say that you know, I I was on board with all the way on board with uh with Herbert. With Wilson, I was just my my issue with him was that he just shouldn't have been QB two. Like that that was the the major, yeah. major yeah. Uh, problem with him but yeah will levis i I think at the price because you're probably going to get him cheap maybe even outside of round one in superflex drafts at that point obvious value yeah okay all right i'm glad to hear you say that because i'm going to end up drafting him and i'm not happy about it Um, all right let's just blame me for just what i what i said just now it's fine (laughs) (laughs) uh let's talk anthony richardson who i am actually excited to draft and i think you think that's crazy maybe so let's so richardson you know we've we've kind of heard a lot about the the upside, um, the athleticism, and I'll I'll remind people of that in a minute. But tell tell us why you're pretty skeptical of Richardson. Sure. Um, so I, first off, um, it looks like my Titans are going to draft him, so I better get used to seeing him uh, in in uh, the, the two tone <laughs> blue. Uh, at least that's all the buzz around here. Better Malik um, Willis. They they like the idea. Yeah. They just want a better version. Yeah, I guess. Uh, and, but I mean, he's the most athletic quarterback prospect ever, at least verified that we have uh, in our data. And, and so that's hard to argue against, like, because the tools are through the roof. Like he's he's really across physically between Cam Newton and Lamar Jackson. Like that is not hyperbole. This is this is truth as an athlete. And so when you're betting against somebody like that, that's uh, that, that seems like a little foolhardy. Right. But at the same time, I just like to say, hey. Here's the truth of his passing profile. Hey, he, we should probably acknowledge this rather than just assuming he's an automatic hit because he's like pick 101 right, right now in consensus dynasty boards uh, for Superflex, which is is interesting because normally it's a player that we're more confident in or we should be more confident in. But um, he's just really inconsistent. And I, th- I think even among the um, the expert draft nicks, they would agree that he's really inconsistent and the mechanical issues are fixable, according to them. And, and they might be, uh, but man, he misses like tons of passes in between zero and nine yards, like all day in an embarrassing fashion, uh, like an absurd rate and any kind of measure of his pass efficiency, whether you want to talk about EPA numbers in terms of, you know, just, just his passing. I'm not talking about rushing or like his scheme adjusted pass efficiency or his adjust, adjusted yards per attempt or his completion percentage over expected or any kind of passing metric. It's absolute garbage. And if you look at um, his pass efficiency profile, it's like below the 40th percentile. Like he's a worse passer than even Daniel Jones was coming in. Uh, he's worse than J- Josh Allen was. He's worse than 
all the people that want, they want to compare to that, that were success stories that ended up, they, they did fix a few things. But assuming that they're just going to be that player is, is quite a leap considering uh, the limited res- resume that he has. And maybe that's saying he could grow and develop. That's fine. Uh, he's still a young player, but he's <laughs> his profile is like under the 40th percentile, which there's not been a first round pick with as bad a passing profile as Anthony Richardson has in the last 25 years, like at all. And at a time where the, the league is trending towards trusting the analytics even more so and trusting like verifiable accuracy and large sample accuracy, um, he doesn't have it. Like there's fantastic plays in isolation, the the little pirouette he did in, in the Utah game, uh, the the LSU running play, a few deep plays, like a deep out route. I was like, oh man, it's like got the arm strength to really, you know, hit that. I could see that translating. There are so many plays where I see it. I absolutely see it. The 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 the, the first round traits and ability are there in a small sample size. And people want to throw out like all the success on play action, where you should have a success anyway. People want to talk about, you know, his big plays. Uh, but you know, if, if you put, if you take out those few big plays, his profile is just beyond garbage. And so um, it's really hard to, to just confidently say, yeah, he's, he's obviously a top five pick. It's just, there is no precedent for success for a player like him ever. And so, and I know that there's never been an athlete like him ever, but man, it's just, it's a tough balancing act. So I just like to uh, have us uh, ingest a dose of uh, reality when it comes to his passing profile. Cause it's like the worst. <laughs> well, so here's the thing about his past profile is that like, I guess I prefer his passing profile to Levis's because I'm playing a game and that game is going to, you know, like, I, I don't care so much if like he misses a couple short throws, like, yeah. you know, and that brings that I care if he hits those couple big plays. And mm-hmm. his his passing profile does show that he has, uh, you know, the big time big time throws per attempt, big time deep throws per attempt, in the same range as Stroud and Bryce Young, significantly better than Will Levis. Now his accuracy compared to Young and Stroud is like abysmal. So <laughs> yeah. so I, I do. I mean, yes. I'm not like I'm not uh, going to push back on that. His his overall accuracy is quite poor, but he is willing to take shots downfield and he runs. So I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm thinking touchdowns. I'm like, when he does hit a play, it's got a better chance of being a touchdown than like Will Levis for sure. Mm-hmm. And he's like potentially got some Cam Newton type of vibes around the goal line. Like they don't even need to run the Jalen Hurts play where everyone pushes forward. Like just they, you can spread them out and just have him push forward. He doesn't need all the help. So I'm, I mean, like compared to even a guy like Cam Newton, you think he has significantly worse kind of passing credentials than, than Cam. Oh yeah. But like, uh, like if you cut Cam Newton's passing profile in just his one season in half and then maybe in half mm-hmm. again, uh, then you'd have something near Richardson. Oh boy. Um, uh, and then like even, you know, a bunch of the other comps, like whether it's Lamar or Jalen Hurts, like their peak passing year just absolutely destroys by every measure uh, Anthony Richardson. So I get that people want to. Hurts know, is a lot more accurate. Hurts actually yeah, exactly. had pretty good accuracy. Like his in. Oklahoma season, people don't understand. Like he, he was not the same player as he was in his Oklahoma years. And so coming in, like Hurts had one of the best peaks of any recent prospect. Uh, in terms of like his advanced, like adjusted pass efficiency profile. So 
uh, yeah, I, I, I struggle to see it. I understand the upside because like when I actually watch him play, I'm like, okay, yeah, he's ridiculous. I get it. I absolutely get it. But at the same time, I just, and I'm sure people are going to, you know, take a lot of tweets that I said and, you know, send them all to old, old takes exposed and whatnot. <laughs> but, uh, cause I'm, I'm the guy that says we should, you know, second guess Richardson's profile when he actually hits, but, uh, I I, w- I just would not doubt it. It's gonna be a absolute... tough scene for you, Travis. I have to say. Oh my gosh! But like eighty percent of his outcomes are just complete garbage. Like that's like <laughs> but if that's I was twenty percent, at... man. I know that's twenty percent. <laughs> that's gonna get me in trouble. But yeah. So. Well, let me ask you about two things because I I think there's two really strong things about his profile. One, he is twenty years old as we sit here today. He turns twenty one mm-hmm. in May. Yeah. Uh, so playing his entire rookie season at twenty one years old. That's nice, especially because. You know, he hasn't shown it in college, but maybe maybe he would have. You know, he only got the one season as, yeah. as a starter. Maybe it would have happened. That's obviously a dangerous game to play because if he doesn't develop, it's going to be pretty rough. But he does do one thing really well when he drops back. He doesn't take sacks. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, something he, we've seen like a from, magician in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really important. Kevin Cole's done a lot of really good research on sack avoidance. And basically, you know, he's he's kind of pounded the table that we underrate the damage that sacks cause in general um, and looking at prospects, he's identified sack avoidance is something that we should look at more than we do. So mm-hmm. that's something, you know, and that's when you look at fields, you know, like what might hold him back from turning into like a superstar, he takes sacks at a crazy high rate. And so yeah. I, I will say like, at least with Richardson, if I'm betting on this super raw rusher, I'm basically just betting on this guy to use his legs to get me fantasy points for the first season or two. The fact that he avoids sacks is awesome because it also means like sometimes he's throwing the ball away. Sometimes he's throwing an incompletion, but sometimes he's hitting a big play and sometimes he's taking off and running when he avoids those sacks. They're all either neutral or really good outcomes for me if he can avoid sacks well. Yeah. And so I think and and really so it's not all just uh, I don't want to rain on every every bit of his parade here because seriously, like the, the the legs aspect, the running aspect. Uh, I know people want to say that, uh, you know, when they trash a prospect that his four is really low and, and it might be in terms of his, his passing uh, profile is the four is absolute zero, but I, I, the rushing uh, provides a pretty fun four for fantasy purposes. It really does. And it's interesting. You mentioned that sack avoidance thing. Like I've just in the last six months, I've actually talked to some like real NFL analytic staffers. And one thing that's um, reigned true across the board is, is that has been something they've been building more so into how they evaluate the quarterback position is sack avoidance is a low sack rate. Uh, not necessarily just when under pressure, but like overall, like, uh, and they have smarter ways to, to measure that than we do in terms of just raw percentages, I guess. Um, and that's what I gathered anyway, but that has become uh, a lot more important uh, in terms of real NFL evaluation. So that's probably why he's risen up to the board uh, to the extent that he has as well. Yeah, because that's been something I think like football analytics guys have been saying for a while that, you know, sacks are a quarterback stat, which is like yeah, kind kind of not true because your offensive line obviously leads to more sacks. But it is also yeah. kind of true because certain quarterbacks just take more sacks than other quarterbacks like Tom Brady. You know, he's not taking a lot of sacks. He especially in his later years was like, I am done getting hit. I don't want to be hit anymore. I'm going <laughs> yeah, to I'm going to get this ball so quick. Yeah. Uh, Joe Burrow takes a lot of sacks and he's probably going to take a lot of sacks his entire mm-hmm. career. Even if the offensive line gets significantly better, he'll probably take some sacks because he's the type of quarterback who's looking to hang on that extra second and see if it uh, the play develops a little bit more. I think that's a tendency 
that is inherent to these quarterbacks to some degree. Yeah, and I will say though, Richardson had uh, a fantastic offensive line. Like we, we can talk about, we can talk about his, his terrible wide receivers uh, all we want, but his offensive line this year uh, was actually fantastic. He didn't have any excuses to get sacked. Uh, he was actually quite often holding the ball really long, and the clock would go off in his head, and he would just chuck it out of bounds. Like there were multiple plays where I, I, would, I would see him. Like he, it, it's not that he was seeing ghosts. It's just like his clock was going off, and he just threw it away. And I'm like, what are you uh-huh. doing, dude? Like you've got a yard and a half of space between you and anybody else because your offensive line is just sitting these little kids down on the grass and you're chucking <laughs> it away. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I, you know, what I will say is I've been kind of still leaning Bijan Robinson as the one one in Superflex, partly because, yeah. you know, yes, Richardson has this gigantic ceiling, but Robinson also has a gigantic ceiling. And at a position that's less valuable, but at one where like the the market as a whole might really dry up in terms of running backs that people actually want to trade for in these super flex leagues. And Robinson yeah. might be like the guy. You're like, hey, you need a you're a contender who needs a running back? I've got Bijan Robinson. How about we how about we talk yeah. about one of your quarterbacks now? <laughs> I think you can act he actually strikes me as a running back. You can a year from now, maybe even this year, start shopping around for quarterbacks and land someone who has Maybe not the quite the high, high, high end ceiling of Richardson, but you know is going to produce for you is locked in on a on a contract is looking, you know, like a very stable, solid producer. So if you're essentially saying, you know what, I'm a rebuilding team, I need to rebuild around the quarterback. Mm-hmm. In some ways, I think Bijan might help you get you there uh, more easily than than Richardson, yeah, more than Stroud think, or Young, even. I think right now. One thing that um, just because I, I look at things and I have to with the whole market and the big picture of everything and, and trying to get outside this just fantasy space that I've been in for like eight years and just like look at the the I don't know the uh, macro level type of valuation of like what the call whole it real life, is. Travis. Call it yeah, real sure. Life. Okay, yeah, that's what it is. It's real <laughs> life. Thank you very much. Uh, trying to look at real life football impacts and things and market trends and how things are going and it's funny. There's almost thirty running backs in the league right now that were drafted in 2017 or 2018 that are in between the ages of 26 and 29. And what do we know about the apex of production from running backs? Like after like 26 and a half, typically historically population wise, it starts to drop off. And so the the 2017 class, which is one of the best of all time, the 2018 class that had Nick Chubb and Saquon Barkley and uh, the great Rashad Penny, uh, you know, (laughs) uh, there are players – yeah, exactly. Uh, th- seriously, there's almost 30 of these guys that are on their way out and mm-hmm. enter B. John Robinson, like the gift of all running backs to us right here. And all these aging players are about to just dry up on everyone's rosters. And that's going to yeah. make players like Bijan even more valuable for the next couple of seasons uh, because we're, we're losing this generation of incredibly impressive, productive studs at the position. And, and it might not feel like we're losing them today, but it certainly will a year or two from now. Well, tell me about, so we know where you stand on um, Richardson, but you know, you could make a very, very strong case for CJ Stroud or Bryce Young as the uh, 101. Mm-hmm. Where do you stand compared to those two quarterbacks? Where does B. John Robinson stack up for you? Do you, do you prefer going with Stroud or Young ahead of Robinson or based on what you just said about, you know, the, the landscape, it seems like you very much agree with the the point of the trade value that Robinson could, could have. 
Um, even, you know, you know, a solid rookie season, I think could vault his trade capital up significantly. Like the bar is pretty low for what he has to do. I think if he has a, if he has a good rookie season, like look out. So where do you stand between the quarterbacks, uh, the non Richardson quarterbacks and Robinson? I would lean Robinson just because of in in fantasy purposes anyway, because, uh, the, the landscape of the market is just going to be in dire straits here soon like it's it's gonna be a major problem a year or two from now and we're looking at Bijan as like oh my gosh he's still 23 and just put up two back-to-back 1500 yard seasons oh my gosh so uh so I think a player like that uh feels much less replaceable than uh, a quarterback that really frankly given the hit rate of of even first round quarterbacks um does not seem safe at all even even guys that we really believe in like Bryce Young and CJ Stroud uh, so I get going for the longevity of the of the position and maybe in like 14 or 16 team leagues that are super flex, you would want to go with uh, the quarterback instead. But, you know, most of my leagues, I think I lean Bijan still. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm in the same spot. Um, and I know, you know, running backs aren't, are hardly safe prospects as well, but what I guess, give us the quick rundown on why Bijan stands out so much. Uh, Bijan has just been, I guess a safe projection for like, I don't know, four, five years, it seems uh, dating back to him, his story as as recruit. Um, he passed up Zach Evans actually as the top rated recruit in, in their respective class three years ago, uh, kind of like right at the last second uh, goes to Texas and uh, some people questioning, you know, even going to Texas as opposed to a couple other spots at the time, but he goes to Texas and immediately features by the end of the year. Uh, they really should have used him even more so as a, as a true freshman, you could argue they should have used him more every single year. But he, at age 18, in his last six games as, as a freshman, averaged like 11 yards per touch, uh, which is just absolutely bonkers down the stretch. That seems good. Uh, uh, that seems good, right? Like he might be breaking things. And yeah. And then he just follows it up with, uh, you know, like 3,300 yards from scrimmage or whatever, whatever it was in the, in the next two years. And um, has all, all the traits. Is faster than 4.5, so there's no speed questions. Uh, he's got fantastic uh, strength, play uh, like balance. Uh, like I don't know, like there's nothing. He runs with this anticip- like anticipation. I think is probably the right word. And this in combination with being incredibly smooth, like there's almost. It's very rare that there's no questions that I have with a prospect. I don't have questions. I don't have one with Bijan. So one guy who's probably hoping he wouldn't go to Texas, Roshan Johnson, who you guys have <laughs> yes. pretty low down the list here. I think, yeah. you know, in best ball drafts right now, I haven't been drafting the super flex drafts a ton, but mm-hmm. I did one last night on ship chasing and uh, Roshan Johnson was going ahead of Kendry Miller and ahead of Tank Bigsby. And, you know, yeah, the the fantasy community as a whole, I think, is really starting to buy the idea that he's going to get drafted pretty highly, like, let's say, third to fourth round and that a team is going to you know, install him potentially as like a three down guy, or at least he has the upside to work into that type of role. And for me, he Mm kind of comps to guys like Alexander Madison, you know, where it's like, if the team, like, I think he's going to be like a pretty solid chunk play runner, maybe not great, like long speed and breakaway skills, but you know, could kind of be good enough just to be out there a lot um, Mm -hmm. in the same way Madison has been when, when cook's gone down, but I've not seen like a ton of buzz on his draft capital. I don't part of part of the the thesis is that like NFL teams like are going to love this guy. 
but we're not I'm not seeing that drumbeat yet. Maybe maybe yeah. it happens, but it seems like you're skeptical of of where he gets drafted. I am and and really the market isn't just expressive of my own opinion. In fact, our ranks seldom align exactly with my own rankings at all. But it, it is interesting because Roshan has risen in price. I think on Mojo like 10% or so in the last uh, several weeks because I think popular sentiment especially in the fantasy community is that you know he's much better than we might have bargained for. And, and we love going for these players that, um, you know, uh, we see the potential. We, oh, we're like, oh, you know, we, we, there's built in excuses because he was, oh, he's behind Bijan. That's the only reason he didn't do this. But the truth is, he didn't do this. Like, he didn't profile in a way that, that would suggest uh, we should believe necessarily that he's going to have super high draft capital. There's not really a recent precedent of anyone with his kind of profile getting even day two capital, let alone like, you know, promising like round two like i was on a show the other day where somebody was like i think he could go round two and i w- i wanted to say absolutely not but i i didn't <laughs> but it's just there's there's not much precedent for a player like him to go in that range um i think he he came in and i was i was high uh, when, on him when he was a true freshman he had like 600 plus rushing yards and looked like he could uh be in line for a bigger workload but when Bijan was slated to join him and did so the next year it was obvious he was never going to be given a feature load ever ever again right and so that's a built-in excuse obviously to say oh well if he didn't have that in his way he'd, he'd be great uh but i'm just i just don't see a great player i see a player who's maybe average at everything and he's big in a class of like a bunch yep. of small speedsters that we have size questions about um and so it's just trying to trying to make fetch happen a little bit too hard <laughs> uh okay yeah i mean i've i've kind of struggled with that too because you know, it doesn't seem like from the spreadsheet stuff that I look at, like he, he got nothing really. Um, his yards per hour runs okay. Like he's kind of in the same range as like a lot of these other guys who look like, you know, they could be three down guys if a team decides to just kind of lean on them. Mm-hmm. But um, his and like, way, yeah, I, I follow all the map, like large sample mock draft data. And it's just not there for Roshan. Like there are some people that are a, b- a bunch of fan sites are, are putting up into like the, round three discussion, but for the most part, his, his mock ADP is well over the hundred mark. So uh, where do you think he ends up getting drafted? I think it's probably around four or five. Uh, Four would probably be optimistic. Um, Realistically, we're we're looking at a guy who has a much worse profile than anyone uh, that I would probably comp him to. Like, I think, uh, you know, some people that have thrown out names to me, they've said like Jordan Howard, they've said like, uh, even like last year's Tyler Algier, um, and I see it like, you know, maybe bigger body guys that can, uh, you know, make a play here and there. Uh, but I think, you know, he's probably like around five guy. I think on a, I was just reaching, recently talking this out saying, you know, we, we don't often see teammates come out in the same draft class and both get significant capital. Like Javante Williams and Michael Carter, they came out from North Carolina. But, you know, Michael Carter fell to day two and Williams was around two. Uh, Joe Mixon came out with Samaji Piran. Uh, Mixon was round two. And Piran fell to round five because there's generally an obvious player that's just better for pro prospects. And this, in this case, it's obviously Bijan. Yeah, but no doubt there. Roshan is just he's just a hardy day three type of prospect that can get some carries. But I, I worry about, I guess, his longevity. I mean, at running back in general, like you do. But I think even if he finds early success, he could immediately get drafted over by somebody else. Yeah, who's actually better, yeah. more dynamic. That feels true to me for sure. Um, 
Miles Sanders is someone who, you know, would maybe be like an upside comp from the college perspective. I don't think they're all that similar as like running backs in terms of their style and everything, but like he was fully a backup. Saquon, he got kind of lucky in the sense that Saquon leaves and then he's, yeah. you know, able to have his the year to himself. Roshan's a year older than Bijan Robinson, so his year to his, himself was his freshman year, which wasn't great. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a it's a tougher situation for Johnson the way things played out, but that you know, we have seen a running back be completely the backup of another NFL running back and then turn out to be pretty good. Yeah, I will say though, Miles Sanders was an absolute stud as a recruit when he came in. And like mm-hmm. it was just it was just unfortunate that uh, you know, you're behind like a truly generational talent uh in Saquon at the time. So like <laughs> uh he was he was like on the fringe of being one of the best running backs in his class uh, when he came mm-hmm. in. So we were already really high on him in the, the Debbie community and uh, the recruiting community for a couple of years before he even got to college, like he has that kind of background where he was already more established as a, as a true difference making talent at the position. Whereas Roshan was like converting from quarterback, like wildcat slash thing. <laughs> uh, okay. Even like as a true freshman and he came in, he was never going to play quarterback in college, but you know, he was, he was not the prospect even at that time. And he still isn't now. And now he's older and there's just, there's really no data point to, to lead us to have supreme confidence and a player, at least for me, like Roshan. Okay. So there's a big group of running backs behind um, Robinson, Gibbs, and Charbonnet. Yeah. And then A-Chain, it looks like his draft capital is going to come in pretty good. So it makes sense mm-hmm. to me why he's up here. But then there's this big group, Evans, Bigsby, Tucker, Abanacanda, Miller, uh, Deuce Vaughn, Chase Brown, Ty J. Spears. All these guys are kind of both in – both on, on Mojo and in kind of the general fantasy market kind of all clumped together. And yeah. we're all trying to find reasons to have these guys different, differentiate from each other. To me, I, a band of Canada's jumped up to lead the yeah. group as kind of a, an upside play. He's got sufficient size and just crushed his pro day. Um, I think he's a good enough receiver. He kind of fits the general mold of this larger group, but I think Bigsby fits Miller fits um Roshan to some extent fits as well of like if the team decides you're the guy you can probably do everything um but some of the other guys seem like safer bets for draft capital in particular a chain really seems like the strongest bet for draft capital um so just curious about your general take on on this group and like if a Banacanda is maybe still at risk of being like a fifth round pick, even after the pro day. Um, cause, cause I think yeah. with Miller Bigsby and a Banacanda draft capital is still the thing that makes me worry about those three. Yeah. I mean, you just don't see, I mean, even though it is true, there's like 15 to 18 profiles that if you squint, uh, we could say, man, it really looks like they could go, uh, in the early rounds, like every single year, uh, there's, you know, maybe eight or eight or nine guys that we think could be in the, uh, you know, day one, day two range. Uh, but realistically, you're talking about like six to nine guys actually get that capital. But this mm-hmm. year I'm like, man, there's like 15 plus guys that I want to just cram into day two and say, yes, I'm done. All 15 are going to get drafted inside day two. But I know that's not going to happen. Um, and so, yeah, it, it is kind of interesting because there's so many guys clumped together in this class and we've been thirsty for a class like this for a while. I mean, yeah. we, we, well, saw we need it. We just laid out how bad we need it. We exactly. So the timing might be perfect in that we might see a, a, a more than 
I guess uh, a larger number of these guys hit than we usually do from even a good class because of what right. we're about to see in this aging out process in the league because we've had two years, uh, 2021 and 2022, that, man, those those classes were rough. Like even the guys that we wanted to get super excited about in 2021, like, man, Najee Harris, awesome, and that didn't really work out. Javante Williams, that didn't work out. Brees, Brees Hall, he was healthy for less than half the year. Uh, Kenneth Kenneth Walker, that looks promising. That's cool. Uh, but like we so badly still want still didn't anything. catch any passes though. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like we we were we are so thirsty for this to actually work out and hit. Um, and it reminds me of I guess it was probably we saw a similar drought. I think it was like which one was it outside of like Le'Veon Bell. Like a tw- I think it was 2013, 2014, maybe even like 2012. Outside of maybe Doug Martin. Um, you know, basically a three-year stint about a decade ago, where we saw this just gross drought of running back prospects, uh, paired with this aging out of uh, like the LTs of the world. You know, this this massive right. fun. This is how Devonta Freeman, Devonta Freeman ends up being the RB one in a season because of this. That's thing, exactly right? where I'm going because in 2015 you get to Devonta Freeman being the running back one, and it, but it's a really bad it's a really bad running back overall right. one uh, season, and so we might be coming up on that moment where this season's either going to be like the best we've ever seen you know, because we have this aging out group uh, with this fantastic group coming in together. And it's going to be like the 2008, 2009, uh, like where we saw LT still there and AP and Marshawn Lynch coming at the same time, or uh, the bottom is going to fall out with all these guys that we think are going to produce. And we're going right. to see B. John Robinson be like a weak running back overall one this year. Uh, so I don't know what to do, but I, I think either way, either reality in, includes a, a huge number of these guys hitting. Uh, I know that's a, a long uh, backdating story there, but I, I, that's just where my mind has been trying well, to predict uh, what, what happens with these guys. And so I think it, 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 we might be overthinking like which one hits when in reality, it's like five of these guys. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that, that has been where my thinking has landed recently. Cause I had, I had priced this for my dynasty rankings like you guys have, where I had this exact same top four, Robinson, mm-hmm. and in that order, Robinson, Gibbs, Charbonnet, and Devin A. Chain. Yeah. I, the guy, I started to just be like, what am I doing with Devin A. Chain? Because yes, I think he's going to get the draft capital. Although I have seen him occasionally mocked outside of day two, which would just be kind of a disaster for his larger profile, I think. But yeah. generally, he's seen as like a second round pick, maybe a third round pick. And you know, all of these other guys could go in the fifth or sixth round. I think individually, right? Like individually, any of them can fall like much further than we want. And so you're like, let me just bet on the draft capital. But if a bunch of these guys are got the profiles that, you know, if they're given the chance can be pretty big hits. Yeah. And there's a lot of spots where they can probably get in there and start producing even more than we think on paper because all of these running backs are are starting to age out a little bit. You know, even guys like Aaron Jones and, you know, Dalvin Cook, like there's lots of guys where it's like, oh, that guy's there. And it's like, well, is he there in week 15? You know, because <laughs> so I've started to think I want to make bets on my favorite profiles yeah. that I think are going to be at least okay with the draft capital. So I I eventually moved A-Chain down and I moved Banacanda ahead. I moved Bigsby ahead and I moved Miller ahead uh, because with a chain, I'm just like, he's, a, he's 188 pounds. And I had JJ Zacharyson on last week. He was, you know, kind of hammering that point. And it's just, it's just a, it's just a fact that these yeah. really undersized running backs don't tend to produce as well. And unlike Gibbs, 
A-Chain has not been a really, really impressive receiver. Gibbs looks like an incredible receiving prospect to me. A-Chain looks like a solid receiving prospect, but he might end up being like a Tevin Coleman type or something. I'm just kind of worried about what his ceiling is relative to some of these other guys. If a bunch of them end up hitting, I want to be in that that later bunch, I think. Yeah, it makes sense. I, and I really like Tank Bigsby's profile. I uh, moved him up back into my top five overall, just personally. Uh, ben is going to be like 20 years old uh, for like most of his rookie year. Yep. And is one of the fastest, most athletic backs in the class already, uh, even with being younger. And I know a lot of people love Kendry Miller, so I'm not going to argue against there. Uh, but I will say Devin A-Chain, uh, it's tough to uh, – I think a lot of people have knocked him with it when it comes to his size. Like It's just like it's an easy – thing to always go to because it's just true you're i'm not going to argue with you it's true like the, the small running backs do struggle to produce and stick uh for a long time in the league but if any smaller back is going to do it if anybody is going to repeat uh what we saw austin eckler do and actually add weight and maintain mm-hmm. elite elite speed and burst and an ability to be kind of a feature back that we want to see in in fantasy, maybe not you know taking 300 carries a lot Derrick Henry, but you know being a, a pass catching weapon, A Chain can do it. He in the SEC this past year, he had over 230 touches. Next closest in terms of touches on his team was like 54, 55. Like he was yep. the entire offense. We saw him carry an offense uh, in the SEC against basically a bunch of future NFL playmakers already. Like we've seen him do it, um, and he had almost 40 catches this past year, and so. Yes, uh, I have some questions on the size as well. I'm just going to, you got to face reality and he has to add weight, but he's been keeping it off because he's been running sub 10 to 100 meter times for Texas A&M's track team. And he's been, you know, he's had Olympic level aspirations as a sprinter. He wanted to get, you know, down to 10 seconds flat and he's been really close with the, his wind assisted times. So he's got otherworldly speed. Like he comes in as, and is probably second or third fastest player in the entire NFL from day one. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, that's that's really intriguing to me. So if anybody's going to hit at that size and then add probably 10 pounds of weight uh, almost immediately because he's been intentionally not adding weight, uh, it will be uh, Devin A. Chain. So this price makes sense to me because I feel like he's going to be safe to kind of produce steadily over time. But yeah. where are you at like with him in Dynasty? Like, I And I guess this may just come down to philosophical things to some degree, mm-hmm. but like, are you looking to kind of hit on, you know, a guy who's probably going to be a solid committee contributor in a chain, or are you trying to take a bigger swing on one of these other backs who do have a little bit more, I think a three down profile, or do you, do you not buy the premise that he is that committee guy? Do you think at that weight, he can actually be like a true lead back? I think he absolutely can't be uh, at that weight. And he will have to just like a few of the smaller guys we've seen, uh, pack on some weight like McCaffrey came in at like 200 flat uh, at the NFL draft. There's no way he's 200 now, uh, you know, at uh, Austin. Eckler, yeah, but I mean, he him. could get he's not he's not 220. So like a chain's got yeah, 12 yeah. pounds to gain. And yeah, then just he's to get still, to that he's where exactly. McCaffrey saying, was a little behind. Yeah, if he gets up to 205 or whatever, 202, and you know, you're talking about, you know, playing weight of Jamal Charles and Chris Johnson. So except uh-huh. he's probably okay. got just just that he I mean, he's already verifiably faster than jamal charles and right there near chris johnson so um, is he at is he at 202 you know it's like that's that's what we're about too it's like if if speeds your calling card and yeah that's a great 15 pounds 
Absolutely. I, I don't think he's going to lose all of his speed of it. I, I don't think well, no, guys that's uh, yeah, but like, you know, and, and Eckler, he, he came in at like 190 or so at his pro day. Uh, it wasn't even Western, Western Colorado didn't have a pro day, but <laughs> he had to show up to another pro day to, to just wow people. And he came out of nowhere and, you know, signed with the chargers and the rest is history. Uh, but that's probably the best case for him following that kind of arc where he gets to the league, gets to a pro weight room and, and intentionally adds the weight that he's, been intentionally avoiding for printing purposes so yeah okay um so on a change receiving i i don't want to make it like he's not a good receiver he's a good receiver but he's not to the level that gibbs is so Mm -hmm. just want to get your thoughts on gibbs versus charbonnet here to close out running back because yeah um this is like a pretty big gap and one that makes me feel good because i like gibbs a lot especially from a dynasty perspective, as you take the longer view on what Gibbs can turn into, you know, mm-hmm. I think if he puts on a little bit of weight, he was 199, puts on a little bit of weight, just has enough as a receiver and can be kind of like in the Aaron Jones mold where he's like part of a committee, but he's just an incredible receiving element within that committee. I think he can be an absolute smash as a yeah. fantasy contributor. Zach Charbonnet though, it's a little bit, you don't have to like imagine how it all works out. It's like, Team drafts him in the second round. Team's like, you're a lead running back. He's good. Like, it's not, you don't have to tell yourself a story. But yeah. this is a pretty big gap. You have Charbonnet at 53% of the value of Robinson and Gibbs at 73%. So, a pretty big gap there. Uh, you must be decently high as a group over at Mojo on Gibbs. Yeah. And I think uh, the market's already kind of gotten there too. Uh, just people are really confident in the draft capital outcomes of Bijan Robinson and Jameer Gibbs. And everyone else uh, seems to be collectively unsure uh, as to where anyone else is actually going to go. Like, are we going to see two first-round running backs and then no running backs taken in round two? Uh, it, that seems to be uh, where people are. They just don't know what to make of, like, who really is running back three. But uh, a lot of people are getting on board with Charbonnet. But I, I think that uh, Gibbs, for a long time, has been this elite stud and we we saw this coming uh, long ago, uh, similar to Bijan Robinson, just not as extreme. They were in the same recruiting class. Gibbs was a top 100 overall player by every recruiting service, but for some reason he still chose to go to Georgia Tech and uh, immediately wowed. You know, it was like 20 percent or so of their receiving production, and was the entirety of the offense like right away on the ground, and uh, it was just wowing from day one. So much so that with all the transfer rules changing, Alabama just stole him, stole him away. And uh, we knew what was going to happen there. He showed up at spring practice and all the defensive backs were already saying he's the fastest running back we've ever had to defend in our mm-hmm. entire lives. And uh, for Alabama defenders to say that uh, is incredible. It's, so we, we, we've, yeah. we've seen this coming for a while with Gibbs. And now he shows up to the combine. He, he weighs almost 200 flat, which is almost identical to two guys I've already mentioned and Chris Johnson and Jamal Charles. And he was already, he was already a Jamal Charles comp for a while for me. And then shows up at the exact same weight, runs the exact same 40 and has incredible receiving chops. And now all that needs to happen is, you know, to have the chiefs actually draft him at the end of round one. Let's go. That, yes. That'll be fun. Yes, right, exactly. But with yeah. Charbonnet, are you just kind of thinking, we don't know about the draft capital yet. Um, but you know, I mean, and for me personally, it's like, I think he's still my running back three. I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he probably goes somewhere, uh, you know, round two, probably the, near the end of round two. It seems like that. that's consensus right now. Like there's not much uh, signal in terms of large sample mock drafts that would put him inside the top 50 or so. 
But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I think you know round two, round three turn, especially for given how teams invest in running backs now, that's more than you need to to understand that hey, yeah. that we are going to give this guy significant workload uh, from the beginning of the season, and so. Um, he had pedigree as well coming into the process. I, and I, I always mention this cause I follow these guys since like high school, uh, you know, to now. And, um, he had a, kind of a bumpy ride, I guess. Like he wasn't automatically a stud right away. Uh, kind of had like a small sample of success and then, uh, never became the lead back from Michigan and transfers to UCLA. And there was questions as, as to how that was go- going to go, uh, and how he would fit, but it turned out to be for perfect. And, um, he's really flashed that, feature back level athleticism and he kind of confirmed that at the, at the combine. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't really have very many questions with Charbonnet and I wouldn't be surprised if he's right up there, just production wise, uh, career long wise, <laughs> we're talking about like comparing him to similar numbers to Gibbs, just different mix mm-hmm. of production. He'll probably have more rushing, whereas Gibbs will have more receiving, but uh, yeah, I love Charbonnet. Nice. Okay. All right. Let's move to receiver quickly. The, the, the interesting thing with um, the Mojo prices, I felt like there were some pretty big discrepancies um, yeah. compared to the dynasty market and the best ball market. But at wide receiver, I guess this is just a, a consensus year because you have JSN, Jordan Addison, uh, mm-hmm. Quentin Johnston, which is, I think, consensus. Zay Flowers, Jalen Hyatt, Josh Downs, which I again think is consensus. I think these are like exactly my, these are exactly my ranks. Marvin Mims, who is my <laughs> wide receiver seven. Uh so you guys are like, you know, there's not a time and it's not a deep wide receiver class. So mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of like the whole, I think Cedric Tillman's slightly interesting um, is like maybe a cut above. Like I I think he's a more interesting prospect than uh, Keishon Booty at this point, just because of athleticism. And like, I know he's a big guy who can catch the ball downfield in contested situations. So I'm like, I get what he is. I, I don't really understand even what Booty is, but um but it's like what is it's still like he's kind of a late second round third round rookie pick type of guy all of the interesting guys are are at the very top of the class i guess let me ask you one thing that's maybe a little bit um not consensus is that you have jsn at 100 you know obviously he's he's the 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 number one jordan addison's 95 percent of the value of jsn um that is not what I would say the best ball ADP works out to. You're seeing sure. JSN at a higher premium to Addison and Johnson. So are you maybe a, a little lower on JSN than the market? Uh, no, I, I, I think uh, me personally, I, I JSN has been my wide receiver one for a while. Um, I, I think when he was putting up you know better numbers at times than Olave and Garrett Wilson in the same Seems good. offense. Yeah, he seemed pretty good. Uh, and, you know, he just like Chase, he basically took off this entire last year. Uh, but he could have taken off the entire last year, and, and I would have no concerns. Like, he was just obviously the wide receiver one. And, um, yeah, but I, I really liked Jordan Addison as well uh, as a prospect when he came in at Pitt. He was he was a weird one because he was high pedigree, but he they didn't know if he was going to go and play safety or if he was going to be a wide receiver. Like, he was an athlete designation kind of prospect and so he could have gone either way Pitt needed playmakers badly so they're just like hey we're just going to make you our entire offense and they did it for two years straight and he won the Bletnikoff award transfers to USC and uh find success despite uh you know fighting through injury this year and so I know he's underweight but so is the entire wide receiver class this year and so yeah it's so um, true 
So yeah, and and more and more we're seeing that that be a continual shift in in terms of size across the league. Like it's been it's been going down uh, steadily in terms of like where wide receivers are weighing in collectively across the league for about a decade. Um, so yeah, I'm I, whereas I would have been way more concerned about that ten years ago, even five years ago. I'm just not now. And so Addison has a an impeccable production profile uh, that rivals JSN and is far superior to anyone else in this class outside of maybe maybe Josh Downs because of how they fumbled, funneled targets to him in the offense, but just analytically speaking. So I, I have no questions when it comes to Addison. Uh, Johnston, on the other hand, that there are more questions to be had. And he's actually, uh, on Mojo, he's actually trended down a little bit just because people are, I think, un- unsure which direction his stock is going right now. Yeah, he seems like a kind of a risky bet um, to me for sure. Let me ask you about Marvin Mims, who – if he was going to get like, if the draft capital was really locked in for him, he would not yeah. be my wide receiver seven. I would have him ahead of downs. I think I'd have him ahead of Hyatt. If he, if I knew he was going to be a second round pick, yeah. Um, depending on the landing spot, you could talk me him over flowers. If he was a second round pick, Ooh. even if flowers first Mims goes second, Mims has like a clearly better landing spot. I might be Mims. I, I really <laughs> like Marvin Mims, That's but, awesome. but he's, I, you know, it, that those takes are going to age like horrendously if he's a fourth round pick, and, it, right. and it's he might be a fourth round pick. So, what what's the deal with his draft capital? How do you view that? To me, it, it's a little bit reminiscent of uh, Amon Ross St. Brown because uh, collectively, us Devi nerds were high on Marvin Mims for years, similar to Amon Ross St. Brown. Like uh, in his class, like ASB was either the wide receiver one or wide receiver two coming in as a true freshman. And Mims was like a top five by everybody as a wide receiver um, in, in terms of like trying to project future NFL outcomes, you know, three plus years ago. And, and so when he came in and had a pretty decent, um, you know, showing as a true freshman, uh, we're like, okay, cool. Confirmation bias. We, we are going to rank him high. And then the next year, the offense kind of fell apart with Spencer Rattler at the helm Caleb Williams came in and he was fantastic, but he was a true freshman. So most of the offense was inefficient, but Marvin Mims was the lone exception. Marvin Mims was still very, very good in that offense, averaging over 20 yards per reception as a, as a true sophomore. And then he loses his quarterback, Caleb Williams, who is going to be the first overall, overall pick next year, by the way. Um, he goes to USC and you think, oh, crap, uh, that offense is going to fall apart. They bring in a new quarterback. Mims has his best season yet, puts almost uh, 1,100 yards up. Uh, and just confirms that, hey, by the way, I'm still amazing, uh, and y'all should pay attention. <laughs> and uh, Marvin Mims is going to hit if he has decent capital and could be similar to Amon Ross St. Brown, even without mm. capital, hits anyway because he's just been that talented for a very long time, and it's like people just got bored. Like, oh, I, that, that name has been up at the top of the board too long. I should drop him down a little bit. All right, well, I've, I'm working on a receiver article right now that's uh... – you know, my tier four, my tier three of receivers that'll be led by Marvin Mims. So I'm maybe hey, I'll have to right there with you, man. Him up a little more. All right. Right nice. there. Now, where are you at? Like, let's say he goes, um, I don't know. What's a good landing. Let's say he goes to the chargers in the second round. And then Zay flowers goes to, I don't want to say the Raven. What's, what's like a not great landing spot. That's, Fine. Oh, death goes, sentence. Uh, like the Titans, you mean? <laughs> yeah, don't no, I don't want a death sentence. I want like uh don't okay. love it, don't hate it. Maybe like I don't know, the Patriots or that might be oh, yeah, yeah. 
And by the way, yeah, he, he something actually, middling. I think today he's actually in New England with the Patriots. By the way, okay, all right. Zay so, Flowers is on the Patriots first first round draft capital though. Marvin Mims second round to the Chargers. Are we taking Mims? I am not. I'm. I still. Oh, would. I thought I, I had. To. I, I know. I. I can't. I can't do it. And that's probably because I. I'm fairly high on on Zay Flowers and have. What? Been Tell for, me about Flowers. Why do you like him? I mean, it's just. It's. I mean, it's just surface level. I know this has been a common comp in, in recent weeks, but I remember saying this about him like two years ago because he was actually working out with him at the time. Zay Flowers reminds me of Antonio, like really healthy Antonio Brown, and it's because yeah. I think two plus years ago. Um, it was maybe when Zay Flowers was either sophomore or junior, like before his junior year, he actually spent a good significant amount of time working out and training with, trying to learn from Antonio Brown. And and stylistically, it makes sense now because it's like he like tries to throw guys off of him that are way too big and can stack <laughs> defenders. You know, you, you know, like you know, he'll catch the ball and he'll like literally try to swat some away. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, like just, he's, yeah. he plays with a little bit of a an attitude with every single catch. Um, and he stacks defenders really well as an outside threat. So he's not just a slot guy. Yeah, uh, no, he then, can play outside for sure, I think. Uh, yeah, and so he can play anywhere you want him to, similar to uh, the way Antonio Brown played. And I'm not saying he's going to be Antonio Brown because comping someone to you know a borderline Hall of Fame resume is not, not really a good <laughs> process. But I'm just saying, stylistically, he's just way too fun. Like it's impossible to dislike him. And then he checks most analytical boxes, at least the bare minimum threshold in terms of yards for route run. It's not great, but yards per team pass attempt is a little bit better. His uh, receiving yard market share and dominator marks are fantastic above where they need to be. Um, you know, whatever your favorite uh, metric is, he's, he's good enough. And right. uh, when you mesh the film love and stylistic play and, and, uh, diversified scheme fit where it doesn't really matter where he gets drafted. He's probably going to have a high snap count from day one. Um, there's a lot of ways that he succeeds. Yeah. If you gave me kind of just like the, the high level on paper profiles of flowers, Hyatt and downs, I think I would have mm -hmm. them ranked downs, Hyatt flowers, but I have them ranked flowers, Hyatt downs. Cause I think once you dig into like the, like the, the subtleties of these profiles, Flowers strikes me as a guy. Yeah, he's, he's not the biggest guy, but I think he can play outside. I think he can operate downfield. And, you know, I think he'd yeah. be really dangerous in the intermediate area as well. So that's, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a senior. He's not the early declare, but he was very productive to your point. So that, that makes me excited about him. Plus he has the best bet for first round draft capital. So I have him the first of those three Hyatt, uh, you know, big play guy. Maybe he lands in a situation where he can run some out of the slot, deep threat, you know, if he lands on the bills or something like that feels like a wheels up situation to me, but a lot of question marks about in my mind, can he play on the outside? Cause he played so much in the slot and he seems kind of like a raw guy in terms of his route running and then downs. I'm like, is he yeah. just purely a slot? Like, is he, mm -hmm. I don't think he's, he's, he's like 171 pounds. He's playing on the outside at all. So do you have this, any of the same worries about Hyatt and downs? Yeah, so I mean, with Zay, I mean, he he's a little bit undersized, but he led the ACC in touchdowns two out of the last three years. And and Josh Downs, he he is undersized, but the team it didn't matter where he lined up, didn't matter where defenders lined up. There were almost no other options to go to there for the past couple of seasons, and yet teams just could not stop him. And he mm -hmm. was very very good, one of the best in the nation in terms of contested situations. Unlike Quentin Johnston, like forty seven yeah. inches taller, yeah, and and jumps like forty inches. Uh, Right, and, and so it just doesn't make any sense. 
Downs and Flowers play bigger than they are and are more complete receivers than Hyatt and played in offenses that translate better to the pros. You know, the, the I, I know people talk about the the Baylor system, uh, uh, Bryles system. A lot of people are trying to get away from that name just because of, you know, the Bryles drama and everything. But it's called the beer shoot, essentially. It doesn't really mesh well with the modern NFL. Like that offense just flat out would not work if a team tried to run it in the pros. And so Hyatt's particular role um, just it, it doesn't exist in in the pros. And so that's that's the danger with his profile. And I get yeah. that. Um, I, I'm not as concerned as like, like with Hooker because he's having to make uh, several different reads and he's like, it, it's different for quarterbacks. Uh, but with wide receivers, especially, it's just an odd system to have played in. And then you're going into a completely different scenario, regardless of where you land in the, in the pro. So that's, um, you know, he, he, he has a, an odd profile to project success. I mean, I know he had five touchdowns against Alabama and that was incredible. Uh, I celebrate that still to this day, but he's definitely below flowers and downs for me. Do you think downs can play outside? Uh, yes. In today's NFL in a limited role, I think you, he can be a Z and uh, be just fine uh, and be a slot, be just fine and, and succeed. Um, if you want to have him right on, uh, right, you know, tied to the line of scrimmage as your ex and try to, uh, body up, uh, you know, a six foot two long <laughs> corner. He's going to lose that one. Yeah, but I don't you, think he's uh, going to play X very well. No, but if you, you know, you, you keep him on the move and you uh, utilize yeah. him in a similar role to like an Olave this year for the Saints or somebody like that, I, I, I could see him finding success. And plus, yeah, he I mean, only needs to play outside, you know, in two wide receiver sets. Like, I think everyone's yeah, exactly. be happy to have him in the slot in three wide receiver sets, but that, yeah, that'll and, be the big question, I think. Yeah, and, and most teams run straight 11 personnel anyway. Like, not all the time, right. but it's been trending that way for a while, and you, you see teams running 11 personnel with three wide receivers, one tight end, one running back the majority of the time. Now, the the, the buzz on the street is that more teams want to run 12 personnel this year uh, across the league. That's okay. Uh, Josh Downs doesn't have to do that, do that probably, um, you know, it being like 12 personnel and two wide receiver sets even the majority of the time for, you know, even half the league's teams, so. Right. Yeah. All right. Let's move to tight end. And, uh, you know, we've talked about draft capital being a big part of these prices. When you're looking at Michael Mayer, um, it's not necessarily that clear that he'll be the first tight end drafted. You know, I think Darnell Washington could maybe be the first tight end or Dalton Kincaid. But you guys have Mayer significantly ahead of those guys. Kincaid coming in at 77% of Mayer's price, Washington 74%. I like seeing this. Mayer was so productive as a receiver. I think oh, yeah. that really matters. Like we're looking for guys who can actually play the receiver position at the tight end position, which isn't all that common of a skill set. Draft capital, in my mind, isn't as important. Um, JJ talked about this as well with his tight end model that he just developed, kind of downweighting um, draft capital relative, certainly relative to what we would see at the the wide receiver position, because we want to find these guys who are elites at the tight end position. Mayer has some of those qualities where, yeah, he's not the most athletic tight in this class, but his production was awesome. Yeah, and and the thing with Mayer is, um, you know, people wanted to uh, second guess his athleticism, and they they still want to now, even though he's above average at just about everything, um, just historically speaking, at the position, even athletically speaking. Um, but there's not really a single hole in his in his entire profile. Uh, he's been a five. He was a five star tight end coming into the process. We knew he was an elite level, uh, you know, prototype at the position. 
even as a 17 or 18 year old. And then he shows up and dominates right away as a true freshman and then posts back to back 800 plus yard receiving uh, receiving seasons at Notre Dame as a tight end, which by the way, productive tight ends in college are very, very rare. Like it's not common that you see somebody just say, Oh yeah, just 800 receiving yards. Here you go. It just does not happen. Uh, college offenses really suck at finding ways to integrate the tight end position like creatively, unless they're absolutely special. And that's what Michael Mayer was three years in a row. And so uh, he's going to be a first round pick. I don't know if he's going to be the first tight end on the, off the board, but he is absolutely by every measure, the safest projection to, to find success at the position. You talk about a lot of tight ends. A lot of teams don't know how to use the tight end position. One team does Iowa. Iowa like <laughs> their tight ends. They know what to yes. do with the tight end. Sam Laporta has been kind of my favorite of the – I eventually yeah. bumped Darnell Washington ahead of him just because it's like he's so athletic. He's probably going to be a first-round pick, and he could just like rack up touchdowns um, even if he's not that involved. And if he is involved, I think he does have a pretty high ceiling. But yeah. Washington was not much of a producer. Laporta was pretty productive. He was great after the catch. And – like I said, I'm not as concerned about draft capital at the tight end position. If he's a yeah. third-round pick, I'm pretty in. Where are you at on Laporta? I'm, I'm right there, too. He's basically just a jumbo receiver, which is essentially what, I mean, if we're being honest, that's what Travis Kelsey is anyway. Like, he's not he's right. barely a tight end. And so, like, Laporta, uh, a lot of tight ends coming out of uh, Iowa have better blocking chops. Like, Kittle was just an absolute monster. Hawkinson was an absolute monster. Uh, you know, in that regard. And so we, we didn't have as many questions about their overall profile and ability to stick as like an every down tight end. Maybe there are questions with Laporta's blocking. There are definitely questions with Laporta's blocking. But <laughs> I don't really care for fantasy purposes because if he's on there enough to get uh, targets uh, in a very barren wasteland that is the fantasy tight end position yeah. uh, right now, I, I, I'm, I'm really intrigued by Laporta. And he has a much more uh, proven receiving profile than uh, Darnell Washington, who just wasn't really asked to catch very much because, you know, across the other side of the formation, he had the best tight end in all of college football playing alongside him and Brock Bowers. And Brock Bowers, by the way, would be the tight end one in this class if he was even eligible. But um, yeah, so I mean, like, that's the only reason he wasn't more productive. He just didn't need to be. And they kept him in as a blocker where he could just throw a smaller human away to the side. Um, without great form, by the way, he's which not he like does a great well. Form. Yeah, he does. He's not like a great, a great form blocker or anything like that. Um, but he's just a massive human that could have played edge rusher. He could have played any offensive line position. He could have played tight end. It doesn't matter. He was just. I think he might play an offensive line position. Essentially, I, I in know the, it's, in the so NFL. He, he's going to have a high snap percentage from day one. He's probably yeah. not around one pick, but he's probably a top fifty-ish pick. And uh-huh. so, yeah, I still have Washington over Laporta, but uh, I like both uh, quite a bit. Kincaid is someone that, like, I, I do have some of in best ball, and, you know, I, I will continue to draft him. He goes a little bit ahead of Washington and ahead of Laporta, um, you know, by a few rounds. But he's cheaper than Mayer, and he's, you know, got a good chance of being a first-round pick. But, you know, he turns 24 in October, and he had, yeah. like, one really good season. And it doesn't mm-hmm. matter as much at the tight end position, but like he, it, his final season wasn't like amazing. So I guess I'm just, I've had trouble getting as excited about Kincaid. Although, yeah. like I said, I am drafting some of them. He's not overpriced or anything. I think he's probably a good pick, mm-hmm. but 
I don't know. I just he doesn't he doesn't quite get it get me going as much. Yeah, I do find it interesting that uh, a lot of the narrative uh, with him is you know he's only he only played one year of uh, high school football, so he's got uh, you know he, uh, he hasn't you know grown into his full potential just yet. But like you mentioned, he's already almost twenty four. Like high school was a long time ago. Like he's had yeah. a, a while uh, to figure the the tight end position out. Like he went to uh, UC San Diego, which is an FCS school. Um, Ended up transferring to Utah and, uh, you know, was really a backup, uh, not even the tight end one for the program uh, ever until this year. Like uh, Brent Cuthie, who was the tight end one uh, prior to this year for Utah, he, he's too short to even profile as like a true tight end prospect in the pros. Like but he was, yeah, yeah, essentially like, a, um, yeah, that's probably the best way to describe him. But he's. Uh, you know, he he went down, and so there's this huge opportunity for Kincaid to get all the tight end targets because they have no wide receivers to speak of as well. Mm. So mm. there was just um, this funnel that made all the targets go to him, even if he was covered. It, it doesn't matter. He's a big human. Cam Rising and just trusting it. Uh, he trusted him, and so uh, he had lots of opportunities to have those highlight catches being completely covered by you know defensive backs because he was the only option on the team. And so, yes, I really am impressed by what he did this year. Um, was basically the most impressive producer in the country outside of uh, Brock Bowers at the position, uh, Brock Bowers of Georgia, that is. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a short resume of success. It's a uh, uh, confusing arc to production. Uh, it's just, it's much less proven than I think Daniel Jeremiah would have you believe. Okay. All right. Um, Luke Musgrave, another guy who's like not really that proven. Uh, he's, you guys have him priced like basically the exact same as Laporta. Yeah. He had a really nice dominator rating, 33%. Uh, market share of receiving yards, 33%. 33% of Oregon State's touchdowns last year. He played two games, though. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah. Two games. Yeah. 11 two receptions, games. 169 yards, one touchdown that, that gave you that 33% touchdown share. So it didn't do like anything before that. Seems like. I don't know. I've, Musgrave is a dude where I'm like more comfortable in my, I don't know, stance. Like he's, <laughs> I don't, I don't, why would I ever take him ahead of Laporta? I, I think it's just because um, he, he may, in terms of like his height, weight, prototype build and okay. having the four, six, one speed, he looks like a, many more successful tight ends before him more so than Laporta does. And, and that's okay. fair. Like that's probably objectively true, but the resume is very, short as well with him uh similar to Kincaid for different reasons uh but Musgrave um you know he's barely healthy this year the year before he had 22 23 catches or something like that for 300 plus yards I, I, this is off the top of my head by the way it's just he, it was not very impressive uh even before this year um and so yes he could probably win it's rare that you find like a tight end that can win in man coverage and I, I think he might be able to do it against uh you know a slower linebacker at the pros pro level but um, that doesn't make me super pumped to draft on like top, you know, 60 in the real NFL draft if I'm a real team or, you know, to trust him with any significant rookie draft capital either. So, yeah, I mean, this, this is a really stacked class of tight ends. There's like eight or nine that could stick and start in the league for a while. But, um, there are more questions again with Musgrave's profile than I think most, uh, draft Knicks are leading us to accept. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyone else just kind of in general at, at any of the positions that um, you think is kind of interesting sleeper? I'll, I'll float Tillman again because he he showed up. Lance Zerline had him at 
31 in his latest mock draft. Yeah. It's a first round pick, which which I've been like, is he going to be a fourth, fifth rounder or something? Because I'm not that interested. But it's a small wide receiver class. He's he's big. And mm-hmm. if he gets draft capital, I think he'd be interesting. But like that's so that would be kind of mine. But anybody, anybody at any of these positions that you think is kind of uh under the radar? Yeah, I will say with Tillman, um, especially when you compare Tillman and Hyatt coming from the same offensive system that's, you know, kind of artificially inflates the production of, of all of their wide receivers. Uh, Tillman is a more well-rounded wide receiver given the role that he was having to play in that offense, but it took him four years to do anything at all. Yeah, and yeah. he had a very impressive back half to like, I guess his year four or five, <laughs> whatever it was. Um, I think it's year four. That yeah, year he, that four. I think it yeah. was that that was the year he had like 10 catches for like 200 yards against Georgia, which was yeah. incredible, like fantastic, like run of six games or so. Uh, but really, he doesn't have uh, a long resume of success either. And it's in a system that you will not be running in the pros. He's very good at the catch point, though, whereas uh, a lot of these smaller guys uh, who have success, that's great. But he's a bigger guy who is also success uh, successful right. in contested situations um ball skills at the catch point he has he's one of the best in the class and so i'm right there with you uh in terms of teams probably buying into that being something unique in the class so he might go higher than uh maybe he he probably should frankly yeah (laughs) yeah yeah just just because the class uh, and the nature of this tiny group of wide receivers um but he's not necessarily a, a favorite of mine just because when you test the actual uh translatable signal in terms of predictive power like of production in, in year four five and six it's very very uh minimal like a production in years one through three they're very sticky in terms of predicting future nfl outcomes not so much for guys like tillman who take three and a half full years to do anything um and so yeah that, there's questions with his profile it's a major major bright red flag it's just yes yeah, but it's a at the same red. time some teams probably gonna reach because they think it's 2013 but uh trey palmer is an interesting guy that um people bought into him after his uh decent showing at the senior bowl and then running as fast as he possibly could and being the fastest wide receiver at the combine so some people at mojo were really intrigued by him obviously uh so his price is like i think he's wide receiver nine or ten i think ten right now or so uh on mojo and so that's surprised me a little bit because in terms of like Debbie nerdy predictive circles, like I'm in uh, a lot of people just left him undrafted uh, and maybe not in like college to Kenton leagues and, and really in depth stuff like that, but he's been kind of overlooked. And and yet uh, we knew he was incredibly fast. Like Casey Thompson, uh, his quarterback at Nebraska this last year, when he started throwing to Trey Palmer, uh, like the first week he was saying, okay, so Trey Palmer is the fastest guy I've ever thrown to. And, and it turned out that, that that came to be true because he was faster than all the prospects this year. Um, and so he's like this deep threat that shows up to Nebraska after getting his time wasted at, at LSU for most of his career and uh, immediately takes up like 40% plus of the production for Nebraska through the air. So that's really intriguing. He's this incredible speedster who has a fantastic final season. And the only reason he didn't before is because he was sharing targets with a bunch of future NFL playmakers at LSU. Um, so that's that's somebody I'm keeping an eye on because he's not too crazy small and has a, a fun peak to his profile and he's got elite speed um, and yet he's not you know incredibly costly in any of my you know rookie mock drafts or anything like that. He's you know well below wide receiver ten I think by yeah. most everyone's board. Yeah, I think he's kind of off the radar. I 
I probably need to look into him a little bit more. It's interesting. He has a 29 and a half inch vertical and a nine foot six broad jump, which are both horrendous for wide receivers. Yeah. But he yeah, had 4.3340 elite 10 yard split. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't know. As long as you don't ask him to jump, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny. Like, uh, who was it last year? Uh, a lot of they had bad jumps last year, and maybe not okay. that bad, but it was it was really bad. Yeah, um, bad. But you know, he he had decent speed and agility, and we knew he was fine there athletically. Yeah, and I'm not saying yeah. Palmer's going to be Olave, but uh, I would not be surprised. It's you seldom see the fastest wide receiver at the combine not get uh, top like 90 or even like top 75 ish kind of capital. So I think Palmer's going to go way earlier than a lot of people are expecting. All right, we got our tra- we got our uh, Taekwon Thornton this year. That's uh... <laughs> there we go, there we go. That, that, that that'll nice. uh, that's I don't like that comp. That I, I like Trey Palmer. <laughs> hey, Trey Palmer, Taekwon Thornton. He, he had a he, <laughs> he had some good weeks. You know, we we yeah. were not we're not upset at Taekwon. Um, <laughs> so Travis, tell people what you guys got going on at Mojo. Thanks so much for uh, for jumping on me. This has been uh, this has been awesome. Yeah, dude. Thanks for having me. This has been a blast just uh, talking to all these prospects. But yeah, I mean. Mojo is the first fully regulated sports stock market where you can bet on athletes like their stocks. And uh, it's not just like their career long bet either. I mean, we've just added, we, we, we added college basketball here recently. And so you could have call and put options for short-term bets on players, even team level type investments uh, with short-term type stock plays. And so it's all sorts of fun. We're about to launch like baseball too, which I'm, I'm such a baseball nerd myself. So uh, it's going to be fun to see uh, how much that uh, just keeps uh, kicking off and growing. And uh, we're about to launch, you know, hundreds more college football players after the NFL draft happens. So I have a lot of work to do, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Just uh, taking a d- deep dive into predicting future capital for all of these guys. And um, yeah, that's, that's what I do now. Uh, somehow that's a real job, but yeah. So overseeing a, a stock market for sports, man. So check it out. It's it's you have to be in New Jersey to actually trade. But I've had a lot of people just be like, hey, I just like looking at it as like a an alternate to like a tr- trade calculator, you know, <laughs> like just to get a different look at, at these players. And so you can download it from anywhere. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's Mojo, cool yeah. because yeah, I mean that's that's why I thought this would be a really interesting conversation, and it and it was because it's like it is an alternate market that is mm-hmm. not just like a sports book setting the prices like that happens, but then people are like trading these things so that right mm-hmm. it's like sort of adjusting you know yeah. i i imagine if you take like a massive bet on one of these guys that that's going to affect the price and everything and it's sort of yeah helping us figure it out to. it's yeah so it's it's a market-based approach which i think can help us identify maybe some some blind spots in in our fantasy market um maybe maybe you roshan johnson truthers should uh should back off a little bit that's, <laughs> that's what Mudge just said it may be so, but uh, man, I just really appreciate you having me on, Pat. It's always good to just chat NFL draft uh, with you and prospects. Um, but yeah, just check out Mojo and uh, uh, at FF underscore Travis M on Twitter. And I still do the College to Kenton podcast with Stefan. Going to be recording that tomorrow, actually. So uh, on uh, Road of His Radio. So check all that out. Awesome. But uh, yeah, just love, love talking ball. So thanks for having me. Of course, man. Of course. Yeah, everyone check that out. Uh, I'll mention. Next week, I'm going to have two episodes of the podcast doing a mailbag pod on best ball with Liam Murphy and Kyle Dvorak. Also going to have Sean Siegel uh, of Rotoviz as well joining the podcast. We're going to dive 
into this rookie class. Can't get enough rookie talk. So you'll have some best ball talk on this podcast feed and and rookie talk next week. But until then, uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you guys next time.